how many of you like asking for help? If you find yourself in a, in a tough situation where you could use some help, how many people like to just immediately go ask for help? You know, think of the last time you had a, a, a problem in your life. Maybe it was a tough financial decision you wanted to make. Or maybe you had something really heavy in your house you wanted to move. Or you are a mother and you had a child facing some kind of sickness that you didn't know how to handle. Or even something as simple as I was stuck on the side of the road and I didn't know how to deal with that situation. How many people jumped immediately on the phone and called somebody? Said, hey, cousin. Hey, dad. Hey, grandpa. Can you come help me with the situation? How many people jumped straight on the phone to ask for help? Now, when it comes to moving something heavy, I have a little bit of pride. I feel like, which I, I don't have any backaches to tell you about, but I have a little bit of pride in thinking I can do it myself. I'm going to figure out some way to do this project myself, even if realistically it's a two-man job because of the pride I have. But when it comes to using this muscle in my head, I'm a lot more willing to ask for help. And I don't know uh, if, if you function the same way I do, but uh, when I took math in high school, I didn't get it. And I took chemistry, I didn't get it. So guess what I did? I went immediately to wherever it was I was going to get help. It was my brother, it was the teacher. I swallowed all the pride I had and said, hey, please help me. I, don't how to, I do not know how to do this. I don't want to figure it out. Even yesterday, and this might be uh, one of the things where you, all the men say, boy, Josh, we just, our, our, our thought our, of how, how, how much of a man you were just dropped like this. But yesterday, or two days ago, Leslie and I went to North Dakota to a North American Baptist conference, and I, took, I got directions online to Carrington, North Dakota. And I thought all I had to do was just drive into town, and I was going to see my destination. Well, that wasn't the case. I pulled into town. There's this big uh, circle turnaround, roundabout, and I tried a little this way for about a couple blocks, and I went that way, and I thought, you know what? I'm going back to the gas station, and I'm going to ask for directions. How many women are proud of me, right? Right, asking for directions. How many men are ashamed of me? <laughs> But I, <laughs> thank you, TC. But I, I did not care. I, I went to the gas station, and the very first person I saw was a man. I said, this is where I'm trying to get to. I do not know how to get there. He says, I don't know either, so let's find the manager, who happened to be a woman. And we walked all around this dinky little gas station trying to find her. And I finally said, hey, look, this is where I'm trying to go. Can you help me? She pulled out her smartphone and said, let's look at a map. And she gave me the directions to get there. I don't think I ever would have got there had she not done that. But about these kinds of things, I, I, I'm very open. I'm very public. Hey, I need help. I'll take it from anybody. Now, a lot of people, when they come to Jesus, they kind of act the same way. Some people are very private when I come to Jesus. When I come to Jesus for salvation, my dad was that way. He heard the message of salvation. He didn't come forward. Someone who's very public might come forward, doesn't care what anybody sees or what anybody thinks and says, I need Jesus. And maybe that was you, maybe that wasn't you, I don't know. But my dad, he went home, and he shut the door, and he turned off the light, and he went somewhere where nobody was going to see him, and he prayed and said, Jesus, if this is real, I want it. Public versus private. And even when we do prayer requests here, some people are very private about their prayer requests. I don't want to let anybody else know what I need help with. Some people are very public and say, hey, I have this cousin who has cancer. I have this friend who is in a car wreck. I, I'm very public because I want help. 
whether you're pri private or whether you're public does not really matter. The, that there's a key in coming to Jesus. In today's passage, we look at two people. A man who was very public when he came to Jesus. A woman who was very private when she came to Jesus. But these, both, both of these people got what they wanted. They got the answer to their prayer because of one simple thing. The, the, the common factor between the two people was faith. They came to Jesus with faith, and they both received what they were asking for. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at and see how the story unfolds. Dear God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this opportunity again to share it. God, I thank you for the simplicity of faith that you, you, you give us for salvation. You don't make it about doing a bunch of works, and we can come to you in public, and we can come to you in private. And even when it comes to uh, asking you, God, to, to heal somebody or to, uh, to help us on the side of the road if we have a flat tire or car issues, God, I thank you that we can just come to you for everything. I pray that you would increase our faith and you would answer the things that we pray for. And I just pray for your blessing on this word once again. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 46, we're going to be looking at these two people, very opposite situations as they come to Jesus. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. And I'm going to start with, we're just going to do a couple of verses at a time. We're going to start with Jairus, who finds himself in a very desperate situation. It says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Because of his only daughter, a girl of about 12 years old, was dying. So last week, we left Jesus in a boat. The week before, we left him in a boat. But So two weeks ago, Jesus was on his way across the Sea of Galilee. They had the great big storm, and all the disciples are afraid the ship is going to, to sink, and so they wake Jesus up. He calms the storm. They get to the other side, and what's on the other side? There's a demon-possessed man that Jesus talks to. He casts out the demons. They go into the pigs who go swimming until they cannot swim any longer, and they drown, and Jesus casts the demon out of the sky. The whole town comes to Jesus, and they say, go away from us. We saw what you just did with this guy, but we don't want any part of you. Go away. So Jesus and the disciples hop back in the boat, and they're traveling back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And on the other side, at some point, is this man named Jairus. And I don't know if it's on the shoreline, but all these people knew Jesus was coming. I don't know if news about this guy who was demon-possessed beat them around the lake, or if it's just everybody knew Jesus was going to the other side, and eventually he was going to come back. But there's a crowd of people waiting for him, and a man named Jairus runs up to Jesus, and he falls down at Jesus' feet, and he says, Please, come and heal my daughter, because she is sick. She's going to die. And he's very concerned about this. He's, it's obvious because this is his daughter. Now, Jairus... He was a ruler of the Jewish synagogue. Now, I don't know how that translates into America today because we don't have rulers of, of the, the Plevna Baptist Church. I don't know if he was kind of like the pastor position or if he was like a deacon or some kind of caretaker or if he was even like a pope. But this was somebody who was a ruler in the Jewish synagogue, and he was, I think, about as high up as you can get. Uh, the Jewish synagogues would have, have two people, two positions of, of ruling in the synagogue. The first guy would take the book of the law, he'd, and I think he'd pick out the passage and give it to the second guy and say, okay, now you go give this to Dale and see if he'll read this passage. 
Jairus was the first guy. He was, I think, as high up as you can get. And he was probably dressed to the hilt. He probably had the best clothes. He had the good income. He had the beautiful wife, the beautiful daughter. Whenever there was a social gathering, guess who they wanted at their house to celebrate or to, to enjoy the food? It was probably this guy. And this guy is a man who's coming to Jesus in a very desperate situation, and he falls down at Jesus' feet, which is something that's showing uh, respect and honor to, to somebody, because usually you would do that for a king or somebody in a high-ranking position, and here you have a synagogue ruler who is doing that. Now, we don't know much about this guy uh, other than that. We don't know if this was a man of faith, because a lot of the Jewish synagogue rulers were not people of faith. They, they followed the law, and they wanted to make people obey the law, but they did not obey Jesus. They did not follow Jesus' teaching. Jesus had lots of confrontations with these guys because they did not like what Jesus was doing and what he was teaching. So we don't know if this guy is coming because he's a follower of Jesus or because he's just heard about Jesus doing different miracles, and he decides he's going to come and risk it all and follow Jesus' feet. Whatever faith this guy has, whether it's this big or whether it's this big, this guy is bringing it to Jesus because he has a daughter, about 12 years old, who is on her deathbed. And perhaps he's thinking by the time he gets to Jesus, this girl is already going to have, been, to have died, but he's coming to Jesus anyway in an act of faith. Now it says she was 12 years old. In our books, that's a tween, right? That's kind of the, the age between a kid and a, a teenager. They're the tweens. They don't really fit in anywhere. But in that culture, she was getting about to the age where she could be married off. And this was his only daughter. It doesn't say it was her only child, but possibly. And he's desperate. He has nowhere else to turn. I imagine he has already exhausted the doctors. All the, op, op, all the anything he can think of to do, like I was with moving some heavy object, I did everything I possibly could. I bet this guy did that. And he's finally to the point where I need Jesus and so he comes and he falls down before Jesus in front of everybody. Very public, doesn't care what anybody thinks. Even this synagogue ruler who's always looked up to. Everybody comes in and says, wow, that's the synagogue ruler. That's somebody in a higher position. He says, I don't care. I don't care what the other synagogue rulers think. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm coming to Jesus because I need him to do a miracle. But as we read through the passage... Jairus is not the only person who has a very serious situation that he's coming to Jesus for. There is also a woman in a desperate situation. And she kind of interrupts the story. It says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So he's on his way to Jairus' house. And verse 43 says, and a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could help her. Now, 12 years ago, she started bleeding. Bleeding, And it probably was more of a woman physical issue, but it never stopped. And it went on and it went on. And I'm sure it was uncomfortable and it was miserable and it made her tired and it made her frustrated 12 years of this. And it never, it never stopped. She went to the doctors and they couldn't help her. In the other Gospels, it tells you that they only made things worse for this lady. And I'm, she's, she's tried, I'm sure she's out of money. She's tried every remedy they could possibly do. She's, she's looked at, according to everybody else, as a dirty person, as unclean. In Leviticus, you find out that if a woman who is bleeding for whatever reason is, is unclean. And if you touch that woman, guess what? 
you are unclean yourself. Whatever that woman touches is unclean. And so I think she's, she feels all alone because any, nobody wants to get around this woman. If I touch her, I will be unclean till evening. And so everybody has stayed away from her. And she's expected to stay away from everybody else. So there's a lot of physical issues she's suffering with for something that she can't even control, that she, she did nothing to invite upon herself. She's just stuck enduring. She's got physical issues, and she's got spiritual issues or because of the, the ramifications spiritually that she is unclean until evening. And so she's, she's all alone. And this woman says, I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to Jesus for help. Verse 44, it says, She came up behind him as she touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Somehow, this woman knew Jesus was coming, and she's, she's part of this crowd. She's probably standing back from everybody until she sees Jesus coming. She's probably torn. I know i got to get to Jesus. And she's thinking to herself, if I can just touch the edge of his cloak, I'll be healed. Well, there's a great crowd of people walking with Jesus as he's going along the road. And so I picture her just, she's just trying to get in there as, fa- as far as she can. She just reaches out her hand, and she's like, if I can just touch the edge of his cloak, I will be healed. And she just barely touches it. And, and she knows immediately inside herself that she is healed. She is completely made well again. And that was enough. She, she was healed. She was she was she stopped she was stopped from this the trauma that she's facing. And Jesus does not ignore this. He doesn't let the fact go that she just touched this uh, her the edge of her cloak, the, the fact that this power left him go unnoticed. He wants to talk to this lady, and he's, his goal is not to embarrass this lady. He has something else in mind. Jesus responds to the woman in verses 45 to 48. He says, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, No, someone has touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling at and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she, was, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus knows who has touched her. He doesn't want to embarrass her, but he wants to connect with her. He wants to let her know that, first of all, you know, because she's, she's an unclean person. She's not supposed to touch anybody. Nobody's supposed to touch her. But Jesus is showing her that, you know what? Mercy triumphs over the law. Love is more important than what these religious rules are. And she's, she probably, if she left that day healed, is going to go away. She will be, she'll be clean. She's probably going to be running around with guilt because she did something she was not supposed to do by touching this person. But also, Jesus wants her to know that, hey, look, lady, it wasn't just some superstitious belief that you just touched me and you were healed. It was because of your faith that healed you. Because guess what she would have probably done? She probably would have sent, she would have went to all her friends who were sick. Guess what? All you got to do is touch Jesus and you're going to be healed. All her friends would have run up to Jesus and they all would have just started touching him, thinking, I'm going to be fine. Everything's going to go away. And guess what would have happened? Nothing. Because it wasn't the fact that she touched Jesus that made her better. It was the fact that she came in faith to touch Jesus. And when this woman touched him, Jesus knew it. He, he, the power left his body, and he knew that someone touched him. 
and he knew it was hers. If the power left him, he knew where it went. And Peter's saying, hey, Jesus, uh, how could you be asking who touched you? Because guess what, Jesus? Everybody touched you. Everybody was touching you. How do you know the difference? He says, no, I know somebody touched me because the power has left me. And Jesus talks to her in verse 48. He says, daughter, it was your faith that healed you. Go in peace. And I'm, I'm sure that throughout that day, there were a lot of people trying to touch Jesus. There were a lot of people because there were some thrill seekers. There were people who thought, you know, I just want to touch somebody famous. If you ever hear somebody going to the, like the football games and they, they get the quarterback to sign a shirt, great. But they even get them to sign their arm. What's the point of that? Because that's going to wear off and wash off. And I think people are going to Jesus for that reason. But this woman says, I, I know Jesus can do this and I'm going to touch him and I'm going to touch him in faith. So this woman, she had her issue. Jesus healed her because of what? Faith. And so she goes off on her way. But she's not the only one who has an issue. We're going to come back to Jairus because by this time he's probably going crazy. He's, he's like, Jesus, come on, let's go because this, my daughter, my daughter, and this whole crowd and this whole situation where this woman is stopping Jesus and prolonging it. And he says, let's go, Jesus. Verse 49 to 50. When Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Instead, believe, and she will be healed. Now, now as, as Jairus is, is watching all this, he starts to see somebody come, and he knows why they're coming. And he's, he's bracing to hear the worst. And as he hears the words, Leave him alone. I'm sorry, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. Before he has a chance to react, Jesus hears these words and he says, Hey, look, Jairus, just relax. You just believe that I'm going to do this and she's going to be healed. Jairus, no doubt, has already heard that Jesus has done other miracles. And so that's why he's there in the first place. And he's trying to have faith and he's probably thinking all the way home, Do I have enough faith? But as they're getting there, as they're getting closer, they start to hear the sound of mourning. They start to hear the sound of of crying in verses 51 and 52. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and, and the child's mother and father. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning outside for her. No kidding. There's going to be a lot of people. In a sad situation, this little girl dies. There's a lot of people who are mourning the loss of this child. It, it's going to be her mother. And probably not any brothers, because she's probably an only child, but it's going to be grandparents. It's going to be cousins and aunts. They're part of a synagogue. There's probably people from their, their synagogue who came who are mourning the death of this girl. And there's cousins, and there's neighbors, and there's lots of people. But they're not the only people who are there crying for this little girl. There's also paid mourners. According to the Jewish custom, if, if somebody were to die, the least that you were supposed to have at your funeral procession was uh, two people who played a flute and one person who was a paid mourner to kind of let everybody know what is going, to, going on. And as the wealthier you were, the more well-known you were, guess what? The bigger commotion was made. The more music there was. The more paid professionals. Jairus is a guy who's well-off. There's lots of people who know him. There's lots of people who know his family. A lot of people are there who are with him while he's... Well, the family is mourning the loss of their daughter. It is not just this. It's not just himself and his wife. 
And so there's, there's lots of people there. And the people outside are wailing and they're mourning. And Jesus walks up to them and says, hey, look, you guys, just, just cut it out here for a second. This girl is not really dead. She's just sleeping. It says, meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. And Jesus says, hey, look, stop. She's not dead, but she's asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that the child was dead. Which, in reality, she was dead. Her spirit had left her. And if you read through the Gospels, you find out that what, her spirit came back to her. But they were laughing, and I'm, I'm sure it's all the paid mourners, because they're expecting that this is going to be a big embarrassing factor. Jesus is going to look at this dead girl, try to say some magical spell, and nothing is going to happen whatsoever. Because they don't have faith that Jesus is who he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. So Jesus kicks everybody outside. He just has his few disciples with him. He has Mary, or has the mother and father with him. And he says in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which means my child, get up. Verses 54 to 56. But he, he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told her and told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. I don't know how many people of you woke up this morning and you just jumped out of bed. Right? Morning people? Anybody? Not me either. Yeah, Johnny right there says, I'm a morning person. Tristan? Yeah, not me. I'm like, okay, five more minutes, hit the snooze alarm. This girl was not like that. As soon as Jesus said, took her by the hand and said, get up, she was up. And she was, she was ready to go. Active, 12-year-old girl, let, what's next? Let's go. And Jesus says, give her something to eat. She is okay. And she, everybody was astonished at what Jesus had done who was in that house. And Jesus says, don't tell everybody what happened. Now, obviously, what's going to happen? Everybody outside is going to see that this girl was dead. And they're going to see her walk outside. They're going to pass out with shock. And they're going to, the word is going to spread like wildfire. But Jesus is trying to say, I don't want you to go out and just tell everybody that I'm a miracle-pumping machine. My, my ministry is not about doing miracles. My ministry is about getting the message of salvation to people. That's what I want to do for people. That's what I want people to hear is the message of salvation, not just the, the fact that I do all these miracles, so get all your friends and let's go meet Jesus. So here you have two different people, very opposite situations with something very special in common. You have Jairus. You have this woman. You see the first difference? Jairus has a name. This woman has no name. I'm sure she has a name, but it's not even listed. Jairus is a male. This woman, obviously, is a woman. Jairus came to Jesus for the sake of his daughter. This woman came to Jesus for the sake of herself. Jairus is a very public figure. This woman is a very secluded figure. Jairus came very publicly. Hey, Jesus, I don't care who sees. I don't care who knows. I want help. This woman came about as shy and as quiet as possible. Jesus happens to walk by. She just reaches her hand through the crowd, and she just barely touches. I hope that was Jesus as he walks by very quietly. They both got what they wanted when they, when they, because when they came to Jesus. What was the one thing they had in common? It was faith. That's what they had in common. They both had faith. They both got from Jesus exactly what they wanted. But what about us? What about you and me? You know, a lot of people today, 
need, are in desperate situations where they need Jesus' help. And a lot of people say, I'm going to try it on my own first. I'm going to go to the counselor. I'm going to go get therapy. I'm going to take drugs from the, med- the doctor. I'm going to get advice from people, which I'm not saying don't do those things. But that's usually, a lot of people, that's my first response. As I'm just going straight to people. I'm going to the doctor. I'm going to the financial counselor. I'm going to my best friend for what wisdom that they can give me. But why don't we go to Jesus first? Why don't we go and say, hey, Jesus, I'm sick. Hey, Jesus, I need wisdom here. Why don't we go to him first for his help? I'm guessing because probably you prayed in the past and you didn't get what you wanted, right? I know there's things that I have prayed for, and I was, I was expecting, uh, you know, with my brother. I, when I first got here, and I know everybody most here have met him, and I've told you that how he's been sick, I think, since he was 17, so that's about 22 years. And when I got here, I was so confident uh, even I was even quoting scripture to him like online, like that there's nothing is too hard for my God from Jeremiah. And I was telling him, and I was confident to pieces, I was praying in faith that something was going to happen. And guess what? He's no better off than he was. I don't think he's any worse off, but he's not any better off. So, so why didn't God answer my prayer? Because I prayed it in faith. I think that's a lot of reasons why a lot of people don't really want to go to God. He can be my last resort because he, did, he, wasn't, he didn't work the last time when I asked him to solve my problem that I had. Now, faith is trusting Jesus to do exactly, I mean, part of it is trusting Jesus to do exactly what I'm asking him to do. We're praying in faith that God would help Chad's cousin to feel better or, or to get over his cancer. I have a friend in North Dakota with cancer right now. I'm praying in faith that God's going to get him through that. That's part of it. But there's, in your bulletin, there's a definition that I got from uh, Jesus among other gods that Ravi Zacharias puts in there. And it's talking, it's, it's, it's including coming to Jesus with humility because Jesus isn't just there to do whatever I ask him to do. We have to come in humility. It says faith is a confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and in his power so that even when his power does not serve my end, my confidence in him remains because of who he is. Sure, I want to go to Jesus. I want Jesus to answer my prayer request. But I still have to have faith and confidence in him that even when he doesn't do what I want him to do, he is still good. So does it mean that when I, when I pray and I, and I ask Jesus to do something that he, that he doesn't answer the way I want, is that because I don't have enough faith? It might surprise you, but that might be the key. It might be the fact that you're praying for Jesus in Jesus' name for something to happen, but you don't have enough faith. And Jesus says, you don't have faith that I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I don't know that because I'm just Josh. I'm just a human. I'm just up here trying to explain what God's word says. I don't know what God sees. You know, when, when God doesn't answer your prayer, what, what comes to your mind? Is it, do you say, yeah, Jesus, that's exactly what I expected? I didn't expect that you would actually do what I wanted. If that's the case... I don't think you're praying with faith and Jesus is not going to answer. But maybe you have more faith than anybody. Maybe you have as much faith as I had uh, in 2016 that God was going to make my brother better. And I was confident. This is what the Bible says. And how come God didn't do it? God has more in mind than just what I want. God God is not just about me and making me happy. I, I got to thinking about what if everybody prayed in faith? What if everybody here prayed in faith? 
guess what would happen to every football game? There would be no football game because the quarterback would pray that in, in faith that every pass I throw is going to be caught by the wide receiver and be a touchdown. Guess what every defensive back is going to pray? I'm going to intercept every pass. You couldn't even have a game. You couldn't have weather outside. You like sunshine, you like rain. You like snow, you like wind. We all are in the same place. You could not have them all at one time. No, uh, nobody would ever die. Nobody would ever, I mean, you just understand just the practicality or the logic of it. If every prayer was answered by everybody, God would just be a genie in a bottle saying, okay, what's your, what's your, oh, those conflict. How do I make both of those work? So just, just simply to say that God is doing something different. He has a big picture in mind that I don't know what is going on and what he's got in mind that he wants to accomplish. Maybe God says, you know what, your brother Ben, I still want to teach him something. Or I'm doing something bigger than you can see in this. That's why I did not give you what you wanted. And I have to say, okay, I'm going to have confidence in you that even though you're not doing what I want you to do, that you still are doing what's best for me and what's best for my brother and for the best of what everybody, of everybody who is involved. And sometimes God just says, you know what, Josh? Your timing stinks. You don't have good timing for what you're asking for. And I, I think I've, I've mentioned this before, but when I, was, uh, when I was single and I wanted a girlfriend and I was moping around, my brother had probably a wife by that point. Well, uh, I remember driving down the road and complaining to my brother about it. And I was, I was in college. And guess where my wife was? She was still in high school. She was in a different state. And I suppose I could have just randomly picked this street in Spokane and just drove miles and miles and miles, found this green house with a neon pink door and neon pink cement on the bottom and walked up and said, hey, my name is Josh. Uh, would you like to be my girlfriend? I mean, I suppose I could have done that, but that's kind of dumb, you're right, you know? God says, I got timing for this. I want to wait till you get to Bible school. I want you to meet her there, and I have this, all, this great plan all worked out of when I want it to happen. So sometimes we don't get what we want because we don't pray in faith. Sometimes even though you do pray in faith, you don't always get what you want. God's got a bigger plan in mind, and sometimes it's just timing. God has a reason for when, what happens and where it happens. We just have to trust him. So today, two very different people, two very different lives, two very different situations, both have the common factor of faith. So when you find yourself in a situation, whether it's a minute little decision I have to make or something enormous I have to make, or a, a small problem or a big, huge medical problem, go to Jesus and go to him in faith, knowing that he's got your best in mind and whatever he does is going to be what's best for you. Go with the confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and in his power so that even when his power does not serve your end, your confidence remains in him because of who he is. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for... Your, your patience with us. God, I thank you for knowing what is best for us in the situations that we are involved in. God, that you do not give us everything that we ask for. Because, God, we would, we're fickle. We don't know what's best for us. But, God, you do. You can look at the whole picture. God, I do pray that you would increase our faith. I pray that, God, that I do pray for the things that we have prayed for today. I think of, of Shad's cousin that has cancer. And I really do, God, I just pray that this would be one of those times where we have faith and we ask and you do heal him. And you take away this cancer that he has. God, I pray that when we have troubles in our life, we would go to you in faith and in confidence. And even when you don't do what we want, that we look 
And we can still say that, God, you are good in spite of our circumstances, knowing that you have what is best in mind. Thank you for being good. Thank you for not treating us as our sins deserve. Thank you for the salvation that you give us. And I pray that we would trust you and walk with confidence with you this week because of how good you are, not because of what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name.